Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. In Proverbs chapter 11, the Bible tells us, the one who wins souls is wise. But what is a soul winner? On today's program, John answers that question and then asks us, are you a soul winner? I don't know how it is with you, but when I wake up in the morning, I did it today, I have a mental list of things and people that I am thankful for, and before I get out of, before, just while I'm still kind of getting, coming to, stretching, getting the little googlies out of my eyes, I say, God, I thank you for this, this, and this. The first two things on my list, I say, God, I thank you that I'm saved, and God, I thank you that I know that I'm saved. Now, today, no matter what you may be going through in life, maybe you're heartbreaking time, maybe a challenging time, maybe a painful time, or who knows what you might be going through in life. But when you woke up this morning, if you could say, God, I thank you that I'm saved, and I thank you that I know that I'm saved, you have quite a bit to be thankful for. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you here today Whether you said that or not, you could have said that. Just raise your hand. You could say, God, I thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that I know that I'm saved. That's that's a lot of people. That's the majority of the people in this room today. Now, here's my question to those of you who just raised your hand. How do you know you're saved? You say, well, John, I know I'm saved because I have asked God to forgive me of my sins. I have turned from those sins. I've asked Christ to come into my life. I have trusted him to save me. And for that reason, I know that I'm saved. And I would say to you, exactly. That's the only way anybody can be saved is by doing those things. That's how I got saved. But let me ask you this question. How did you know to do that? How did you know to repent of your sins? How did you know to ask Jesus to come into your heart? How did you know to transfer your faith from you to the Lord Jesus Christ? How did you know to do that? I'll tell you how you knew. Somebody told you that. Maybe a parent, a grandparent, a pastor, a teacher, a friend, a spouse, a child. If you're saved today, somebody told you how to be saved. Now, Think about this. Just use your logic. If God used another person to help you get saved, doesn't it make sense that God would want to use you so that somebody else can get saved? You see, when it comes to the salvation of human beings, God is not sending angels out of heaven telling us how to be saved. God's not sending Peter and James and John out of heaven. No, God is using those of us who are still living on the earth to tell other people how to be saved. And so today, I want us to think about the importance of sharing our faith with others, the importance of being, and this is going to be our word for the day, soul winner. Now, that may be a new word to you, the word soul winner, but it's what we're going to be thinking about today, and I'll show you where that word comes from. So if you'll open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 11. One of the greatest verses in Proverbs is in chapter number 11 and in verse number 30. And I'm reading it out of the New King James, and I looked at a lot of different translations. Most of the translations say it differently. To be quite honest with you, there was one or two translations I looked at, and they're good translations. I just didn't, I couldn't understand what the verse meant, but you can understand it clearly here. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Now, here's our phrase, and he who wins souls is wise. I just want you to hear that. He 
who wins souls is wise. Or it could say she. It's not talking about masculine or feminine. It's just talking about people. People who win souls are wise. Now, here's the question. What does it mean to win souls? I mean, that is kind of a new way or a different way. Not new. It's been in the Bible thousands of years, but it's a different way of saying it. What does it mean to win souls? Well, Put your bulletin in Proverbs chapter 11 and turn back to the book of 1 Kings chapter 16 because I want to show you an interesting passage here that sheds tremendous insight on what it means to win souls. In 1 Samuel 16, we read that God had rejected Saul as being king of Israel. Saul was Israel's first king, but he had been impatient, impulsive, disobedient, unfaithful to God, and God rejected him. And so God said, I'm going to raise up a new king to replace Saul. And so God spoke to his prophet Samuel, and God said, Samuel, what I want you to do, I want you to go to the city of Bethlehem. And when you get to Bethlehem, find a man named Jesse. And Jesse has lots of sons, but one of his sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And so Samuel went to Bethlehem, and he met Jesse introduced himself, and he said, Jesse, we need to have a dinner, kind of like a sacrifice. We'll offer up praise to God, but I need you to bring your sons to me so that I can meet them because one of them is going to be the next king. And so we read, for example, in verse number 6, 1 Samuel 16, verse 6, so it was when they came, now they're all at this dinner, that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And so Samuel thought Eliab, probably the firstborn, and he thought this is going to be the next king of Israel. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, for I have refused or rejected him. Look at this next sentence, one of the great lines in all the Old Testament. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Eliab has not been chosen to be the next king. Verse 8, so Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass before. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Now think about this. Put yourself in Jesse's shoes. He has brought out his seven oldest sons in order of age probably. And they've all been rejected from being the king. Verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then Jesse answered, there remains yet the youngest. In other words, I have one other son. He's not with this group. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Now, look at the end of verse 11. Now, different translations are going to read it differently. New King James, very clear on this one. Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. That word bring there in 1 Samuel 16, verse 11, is from the same Hebrew word that the word win comes from, he who wins souls is wise. It's the Hebrew word, we would spell it L-A-Q-A-C-H, lakak. He who wins souls, he who lakak souls in 1 Samuel. We're not going to sit down until you bring him, until you lakak him in. So think about this. I'll show you this story to make a good point. David is out there in the fields taking care of the sheep. 
Samuel's trying to figure out who God has chosen to be the next king of Israel. He says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Have one more. Out there in the field, there he is. It's David. He's, he's keeping the sheep. And, and Samuel says, send and bring him in. Lecoq, bring him in. In other words, go send somebody, not you, Jesse. I'm not telling you as the father to go do that, but send one of your representatives. Send somebody who works for you. Send somebody out into the fields to bring David in. And so when we read that phrase, he who wins souls is wise, if we can understand that word lecoq, it literally means to bring or to fetch. In other words, winning souls is all about going to where unsaved people are and bringing them to Jesus Christ, fetching them and bringing them to Jesus Christ. That's how you got saved. That's how I got saved. I had people in my life who came to me where I was, explained to me how to be saved, and then brought me to Jesus Christ. And so what is a soul winner? It is someone who goes out into the fields where the people are, who goes out into the community where the people are, and with their life and with their words says things about Jesus and explains one way or the other, fully or partially, about what it means to be a Christian and how they can be saved. But then that person brings this person to the church so they can hear the full explanation of how to be saved. Or maybe they bring them, they give the full explanation, and they bring that person to Jesus Christ themselves, and that person gets saved. Now, God has called us to be soul winners. And if we're living right with God, we're going to be a soul winner. Now, I want to give you four reasons why we should be soul winners. Why should we be soul winners? First of all, we should be soul winners. That is, we should go out into the fields where the people are, into the schools, into the plants, into the malls, into the stores, into the neighborhoods, into the businesses, into the family get-togethers on Thanksgiving. We go to where the people are, and with our lives, hopefully radiating the love of God and the, the peace of God and the joy of God, and with our words as God would lead us, we endeavor to bring people to Jesus Christ. Now, why should we do that? Reason number one, because God told us to. It's one of those things we're supposed to just do because God said do it. In Matthew chapter 28, before he went back to heaven, Jesus said to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Notice, you have to go to where they are. And then you tell them how to be saved and you bring them to Jesus. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, uh, before he went to heaven, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses here in Jerusalem, the broader area of Judea, the broader area of Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. That's what you're supposed to do. And he said, power is going to come on you to do that. So one of the reasons that we're supposed to be so is just because something God told us to do. Why did you come to church today? Did you come to church today because you got up and wanted to come to church? Well, hopefully we did. But whether we felt that way or not, you're supposed to come to church because God said go to church on Sunday, right? Don't forsake the of the saints. So we read these commands in the Bible. Don't murder. Well, I think most of us, hopefully all of us, uh, take that command seriously. Don't commit adultery. Hopefully all of us take that command seriously. That's serious business with God. He wants us to stay away from those type things. Honor your parents. Don't take God's name in vain. Don't lie. We read all these commands, and we say, God, I want to take that seriously. Well, the command to be a soul winner is no different from these other commands. It is something that God has told us to do, and He expects us to do it. I'll take it one step further. 
If we are in a right relationship with God, we will regularly be doing everything we can. We can't guarantee that anybody's going to get saved, but we will be doing everything we can to bring people to Jesus Christ. Andrew Murray, a a great Christian who lived a long time ago, he said it even stronger than that. He said there are two categories of Christians. Now, I want you to think about this. Because when I read this years ago or heard it, it convicted me. It still convicts me now. He said there are two categories of Christians. They're soul winners and they're backsliders. In other words, there are people who are walking with God, obeying the commandments of God, and as a result, they're bringing people to Jesus, and there are other people who are not. Now, I want to just pause here and ask you this question. When is the last time, I have to ask myself this question, that you went out into the fields where the people were and actually brought somebody to Jesus Christ and led them to pray and receive Christ as Savior and Lord. When's the last time you did that? Last week, I asked this question. When is the last time in one of our services here, you have gone back behind these doors, up a set of stairs, down a hall, into the baptistry area, and stood over there on the side while somebody whom you went out into the fields and brought to Jesus and led to the Lord, and they were following Jesus now in their baptism, and you have stood over there and you're watching them be baptized. When is the last time you've done that? How long has it been since you've been in the baptistry area with somebody that you've led to Christ? And I think that's a convicting question for you, and it's certainly a convicting question for, uh, question for me. What God is saying is, just like I don't want you to commit adultery, I don't want you to go out there killing people. I don't want you lying. I don't want you losing your temper. I do want you to tithe. I do want you to go to church. God says, get, be clear on this. I want you and I expect you to be a soul winner. And part of being an obedient Christian is doing what God has told us to do. And so the first reason that we should be soul winners is because God told us to be. Now, the second reason that we should be a soul winner is because we can't help but be a soul winner. Think about this. If you've been saved, that means that Jesus Christ has changed your life. Not just that He forgave you and saved you, now you're going to heaven. If you've truly been saved, He's changed you from the inside out. You have a peace you never knew before. You have a joy that you had never experienced. You have an enthusiasm for life and a love for people beyond anything you've ever known. And so if you've been saved, if I've been saved, how can I keep that in? Let me give you a verse to write down. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. Paul said, he said it this way, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. In other words, how could I, Paul was saying, whose life has been changed by the grace of God, how could I keep that silent? How could I keep from sharing? So think about this. Why should we be soul winners? Because we can't help but be. I mean, if we go to a good restaurant, and have a good meal, and have a great experience, and and really like that, isn't it just natural that we would tell our friends about it? If I go to Jimmy Changa's and order the chicken enchilada dinner, no poblano sauce, no grated cheese, chili con carne, black beans, all green sauce, rice, if I go up there and order that and have a good experience, won't I naturally tell you about that? Didn't I just naturally tell you about that? Shouldn't I end this sermon so we can all go there now and experience that? I love their food, the chicken enchilada dinner. So I have it. If I'm talking to you about a good meal, I share it's natural. I don't have to rehearse it or practice it. Now, what is it I order? I know what I order. What is it I like? I know it. So if we've been saved, 
It should just be like bubbling out of us. Here's what God has done for me. A third reason that we should be soul winners is because people need the Lord. And some of us have been so, saved so long, we have forgotten what it's like to be unsaved. Or some of us, if you got saved young, thank God for that. Not only did you get saved from, from hell, you know, but you got saved from a lot of things that could have been problematic later on. But some of us have been saved so long, we, don't, we have forgotten what it's like to be unsaved. So here's what it's like to be unsaved, quickly. Number one, unsaved people, according to the Bible, have no peace. There's no peace, the Bible says, for the unsaved. No peace. Now, that doesn't mean they never have a good day. That doesn't mean they don't have a good time. That doesn't mean they don't have any excitement in their life. But it means they have no peace. Many of the people today who are unsaved in our communities, they're going to have a fairly fun day. They're up right now. They've been watching the pregame show. They had a late breakfast. They're fixing to watch their foot, the first football game. They're with friends. They'll watch the late game. And then they'll watch the night game. They'll watch many, there'll be many thousands of people today watch all three of the games. Maybe their friends were over. Maybe they'll eat some good food. Maybe they'll have some drinks. We hope they have good drinks, right? Not bad drinks, but good drinks. But they're going to have people over today, and they're going to be having a good time. But do you know tonight about 10 o'clock, 1030, that last game's going to end? Their friends are going home. Their family members are going to bed. They're going to click that remote control off. And they're going to get back in the same bed that they woke up in this morning and look up at that same ceiling. And they're going to think, well, you know, today was a pretty fun day. Watch games, had friends, family, food, all these things going on. I didn't have any peace when I woke up. And I don't have any peace now. And I'm, what I'm saying, I'm like appealing to us on their behalf. They may not process that. They, not, they may not be thinking, I don't have any peace. But they know they don't have any peace. I'll tell you something else unsaved people don't have. They have no hope. No hope. Ephesians 2.12 describes unsaved people this way. People are without hope and without God in this world. Now, those of us who are saved, we have heartbreaking experiences we go through, but we have hope. We can look out into the future and we can look at eternity and say, you know what? One day we're going to be reunited with our loved ones. One day we're going to be in heaven. We have hope. Friend, I'm telling you, a person who is unsaved, has absolutely no hope when they think about life beyond the grave. Have you ever been, and maybe you never have, but have you ever been to a cemetery where the person who died was unsaved and most all of the family was unsaved? And as you're out there at this cemetery service, like me as a minister conducting the service, you say to yourself, I'm one of the few saved people here. Have you ever seen how unsaved people express their hopelessness at a cemetery. Well, I'm telling you, I have. I've been to a cemetery and tried to preside over the, the, uh, the graveside service for somebody who was unsaved and their family is unsaved. And I'm telling you, there is a hopelessness. There's weeping, there's wailing. And I've heard them say to their loved one, I will never see you again. And they have no hope. And that's what the Scripture says for those who are unsaved. No hope and without God in this world. Now, those of us who've been saved, we've been to the cemetery with our family members. We've been to the cemetery with our friends. We have cried. We have wept. Our hearts have been heavy. But in the midst of all that, we have hope that he was saved, that she was saved. We know that we're saved, and we have a promise that one day we'll see them again in heaven. But people who are not saved don't have that. They're without hope. 
And I'm, I'm appealing to you today on their behalf. God has called and commissioned and equipped us to go out into the fields, out into the plants, out into the schools, and to find these people who have no hope, find these who have no peace, and to bring them to Jesus and to win them to Christ so that we can be soul winners and that they can be saved. Now think about this. If the Bible says he who wins souls is wise, we, believe, we know that's true because the Bible is true, right? Well, if that's true, the opposite has to be true. He who doesn't win souls is foolish. That's why Andrew Murray said there are two categories of Christians, soul winners and, and, and uh, backsliders. He who wins souls is wise. He who fails to win souls is foolish. And I'll tell you something else about unsaved people. Not only do they have no peace and no hope, they have an empty place in their heart. Augustine said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. Now, we can identify with this. We remember before we got saved, something was missing. Something's not quite right. Something, I'm just missing something. Sometimes we try to fill that up in relationships or in money or hobbies, whatever, but nothing will fill that. You've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless. They're empty until we find our rest in you. And I'm saying God has commanded us and given us an opportunity here to go out into the fields and to bring them to Jesus. Why should we win souls? Because people need the Lord. But there's a fourth and final reason why we should win souls. Think about this. Because death is certain and where a person spends eternity matters. Death is certain. I mean, friend, if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime at the rapture of the church, mark this down. You will die. I will die. It's not maybe, could happen. No, it's going to happen. It's been appointed a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And so we have an appointment with God. Death is certain, and where we spend eternity matters. You know, I was thinking about eternity. Eternity lasts for a long time, right? It lasts forever. I mean, it, it never ends. You know what my desire would be for everybody who hears this message today? Certainly that we would become soul winners. We're going to talk more next week. How do we do that? How do we share our faith? What do we say? How do we start that conversation without coming across the wrong way? We're getting, that's next Sunday. But is this on this Sunday, my desire for everyone who hears this message is that you would be able to wake up and before you ever get out of bed, while you're kind of stretching and coming to and getting those little googly things out of your eyes, whatever that is, before you say anything to anybody else, that you would be able to look up towards heaven and say, God, I may have some problems in my life. I may have some heartache in my life. I may have some sadness in my life. But God, I thank you, first of all, that I'm saved. And I thank you that I know that I'm saved. Now, for some of you listening to this message today, in order for you to be able to say that, you're going to have to do business with God, and you're going to have to go to Him. I'm doing all I can to bring you to Jesus. And I'm saying if you will come to Him in prayer, asking Him to forgive and save you, He will do it. And you can wake up every day for the rest of your life saying, God, life may not be perfect, but I'll tell you this. I'm thankful that I'm saved, and I'm thankful I know that I'm saved. Amen. Would you like to have 100% assurance that you are saved and that you will be going to heaven when you die? You can have that assurance. Won't you pray with me now? Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. 
I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Please make me the person you created me to be. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Again, that's 1-800-337-0157. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message along with many others on our website, peacebybelieving.org, and go to the broadcast tab. We invite you to follow us on social media. You can like Peace by Believing Ministries on Facebook and follow at PBB underscore broadcast on Twitter. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.